Over the last few years, I've been asked so many times to present some of the history, but more importantly, some of the stories and the learnings from the Kokoda Trek and Papua New Guinea in general. Um, as some people would know, and some people have walked the track over the years, they'd also talk about how primitive it still is, but more importantly, how pure it is. And it's known as the land of the unexpected, and there's many reasons why that is. But I'm going to start this podcast series now with a story, and basically the name of the story that I've called it in anyway is the day that Darren Lockyer, who was a famous rugby league player, played a game of rugby league in an isolated village in Papua New Guinea. And it's a great story because it also talks about how influential people are and often, especially in situations where you've got parents, kids watch parents all the time and the same goes for sporting stars and it goes for role modeling and it goes on and on and on. But anyway, I'm going to start this story and it'll be the inaugural one. So it goes back a few years ago, myself and a mate, so he was an ex-SAS medic and he'd... He'd been through a hard time. He'd asked me to take him up into the Finisterre Range. Now, the Finisterre Range is a little bit away from the Gakota track, but it's just as important in a lot of ways from a history point of view. Anyway, I'll never forget it because um, the mountains up there, well, I guess they're, they're the size of mountains you never see in Australia. But we'd been walking about three or four days, and it was pretty tough. We'd had a lot of bad weather. Rains had come. But each night we'd stay close to a village or in a village. And when we stayed in the villages, of course, all the local people, they'd come out, they'd make us feel welcome, they'd, they'd often share their food with us, and we'd talk to them, you know, and as usual, the kids would gather around as well, and they'd ask for some stories. But one of the biggest things about these villages as well is because, um, you know, Mick, I'll call him, ex-SAS medic, he was, um, he was keen to help some of the, the kids that were in the villages, you know, as I was, uh, as usual. But uh, when we came into some of the villages, the kids would run out to us and one of the one things I did notice about them living up there in the highlands was, um, I guess, probably how malnutrition they were in a lot of ways. But the one thing about the kids, um, they always smiled. They always had energy for you. And no matter what or how hard their day was, I'm sure, they still came out and they, um, they wanted to know more about us. So each evening what we would do was, you know, we'd get into a village and we'd get the billy on the boil. And then, of course, the local people in the villages would come down and share their foods with us. So often there'd be fruits and there'd be vegetables. And one of the greatest things about vegetables and fruits grown in that area is, is that, well, there are no chemicals, so there's no added on anything that's bad for you. It's really amazing, and it, it certainly gives you the energy to keep going. But anyway, so I remember, you know, watching these kids, and each afternoon we'd get out the medical bags, and, of course, you'd be there until, you know, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. And we'd be patching up these kids and then before you know the parents would come along and then it'd be somebody that would need something fixed up and it varied from scratches right through to, you know, some people needing a stitch and in some cases antibiotics as well where infection had been set in. One of the one things I did notice about in those regions and I noticed all the time in Papua New Guinea when I travelled there is the fact that they still use primitive medicines and it's one of the greatest things. It's, um, and in my view, it's, it's probably they're still miles ahead of us in a lot of ways. But as we ventured further into the very steep mountains and, you know, track where not a lot of people had gone before, a lot of people stay away from these areas, we, you know, we occasionally come across some of the evidence of the war, of course, and you'd see a, a ghost bomber lying there on its own in the jungles after 1942, probably a fantastic story behind it, of course, and a lot of brave people lost their lives in it. But you can't but marvel at the fact that, well, in this region, this was some of the, 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 the most intense fighting that occurred. 
And so we continued to walk in the footsteps, obviously, you know. And one of the one things about Mick, you know, Mick's father had fought in that region. And he really wants to know his dad's history, you know, because his dad had come back from the war. And I guess in those days, in 1945 in particular, there was no such thing as PTSD. It was never diagnosed and pretty much, well, they were told to, you know, harden up, get on with it. And it was never spoken about again. Now, I guess what happens then is that, well, because the, the diggers come back from overseas and he's got demons, well, in Mick's case anyway, you know, the father would turn to alcohol. That was his way of dealing with it. And as a result, you know, some of these kids would grow up and they'd ask the question, you know, what was wrong with me? And ultimately, they go back to, you know, to try and experience or, or understand what the fathers had gone through. And I find that when they do that, walk a, a mile in their footsteps, they, they understand, they get to know and whether it's only a small piece, a big piece, but they get to know some of the puzzles, some of the jigsaw that became their lives as to why their fathers, in some cases, were angry, why at nighttime they'd hear them shout and scream. And from there it would go on, you know? So it, it was, it's, it's a quite an interesting journey it is to see this in, in operation. But anyway, so as we walked across the mountains, you know, up and down ridges, dales, the whole lot, and climbing over the rocky outcrops, the rains came and it was, pretty heavy you know it's it's absolutely uh nothing like we see here, here in australia but we came down to this little village anyway you know and we basically came into the area and this man came running out to us and he was the village elder and he turned around to us and he said um you know he said he had a few people a few kids in particular that were sick in the village would be, be able to help and of course myself and make replied of course we can yeah more than happy to help you know so I guess when you say, yeah, I'm more than happy to help, what it means is that, well, until two o'clock that night, three o'clock that night again, we're there fixing up these kids. And then, of course, the parents get involved as well. And then before we know it, we've got all this uh, medical equipment getting passed around. And I'll never forget it because um, because we've helped them so much, they show so much kindness. And you can see the tanks that's in their eyes as well as they look at you. And I guess the other thing too is, is that, the the fact that they believe in what we do as well and they look for us as, as if we have some information that they may not have and it helps them on their journey towards recovery as well and that was a big part of what what we used to see but as we helped these kids you know and a lot of them were also skin infections that kind of thing as well some of them had bronchial conditions as well and it's not unusual for us to see that in those areas you know but they do have their own treatment so we were very wary of that as well not imposing on anybody but the next next morning, you know, we 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 woke up and we had the kids outside. We're all playing and shouting and screaming and, and you know having fun. And typical myself and Mick, we staggered to our feet. You know, we'd been lying on the the wooden floors all night trying to sleep. And the one thing about the floors up there in the houses and the little huts up there, the bamboo huts in particular, is that when you sleep on the floor, if somebody walks across that floor, well, <laughs> basically it, it affects your head because your head gets a bit of a knock. And it's very hard to sleep. So you roll over again and, you know, the pointy parts of your hips in particular get a bit of a rough time. But anyway, um, so we looked outside the house, of course, and there's all these kids and they're all in their brand spanking bandages, you know, the new bandages that they've been given the night before and the afternoon before. And they're all laughing. And so they turned around to us, you know, and they said, oh, look, we're going to have a game of uh, football, you know. And we said, oh, fantastic, yeah. And the, the main... Villagella, he asked us, would we like to watch it, you know? And we said, yeah, of course you would, yeah. And so he said something. And it's not, it's a language, a Highland language. It wasn't Motu. So one of the kids went running off 
and he came back with a key and it was a key that opened up this little door to a house and inside the house they they walked inside and i'll never forget it because this kid he came out with a uh, rugby ball and the rugby ball it looked well it was furry you know it looked way beyond anything i've ever seen before but it was furry so it obviously had a lot of use you know and anyway so the kids all lined up and as is typical with kids you know they pick a team and before you know it, we had two teams and some of these kids were already that the ball were fighting over the ball because i think it was almost like a um a show a show of dominance in a lot of ways you know whoever had the ball was almost like being the team captain so anyways myself and mick stood there you know um very little sleep and we were watching these kids and again it's funny how you become energized by seeing the pureness and the innocence of, of, of children in action and the, the main man turned around to us and he said look Aiden, he said um why don't you you can start a game if you want um the kids have now got two teams and we've got our a team playing our b team and i saw you no, no problem at all you know so i think it's fantastic anyway so i'll never forget it because the kids when they sat down at the, at the before the game started one of the kids in particular he turned around and you know he was strutting stuff he knew who he was he's pretty confident and he turns around he says and he announces well i'm darren lockyer and i looked at mick and mick looked at me and he went eh. so we're out in the middle of the mountains we're out in the middle of nowhere so it's completely isolated away from humanity if you want and this kid has just announced that he's darren lockyer and i couldn't believe it and then all of a sudden another kid says okay well if, if you're darren lockyer well i'm sam Toyley." And again, I looked at Mick and he looks at me and says, hang on a minute. And then another kid announces, well, I'm Alfie Langer. And so we're standing looking at each other and we turned around and whatever caught my eye, there was an old picture of the Broncos, the Broncos winning side from one of the rugby league uh, cups, you know, and there it was, the big poster of the Broncos sitting there on a wall. And it was like, um, they're actually naming the players that were sitting in that uh, photograph. And so they were reliving it. Just like we used to do when we were kids. You know, you'd often see a game of football and then you replay that game later. And of course, you take on the star of that game and trying to emulate what they had done in the game. It was actually it was fantastic to see it. Anyway, so the game is about to start. This little kid's got the ball, you know, the, the hairy ball, and he's got it under his arm. Um, I, I guess what we were about to see, and I said to Mick at the time, it's probably one of the greatest rugby league games I've ever seen. And the game started, and off the kids went, and they started to play, and it was full on. There was no prisoners taken. It was quite interesting to see that side of it. You know, some of these kids are, you know, they're very passive and very peaceful until the game goes, until the whistle goes. And there it was. It was all on. And before you know it, you had the ball was on one end of the game, and then it was on the next. And then before you know it, there was a fight over who scored a try and who didn't score a try. And it was Darren Locke who was after scoring a try. And then Sam Toyler decided, well, it wasn't Darren Lockyer who scored that try. It was actually Alfie Langer. And then before you know it, there was a fight. And then there was a little bit of a scrap. There was a war of words. And then they just got on with it again. Then the football went back and forward, went back and forward. And everybody had a fair go. It was, it was great to see it. So we talk about team building. We talk about, you know, the spirit of um, community. Every single one of them would get a touch in the ball. And it was way were, that was the way they played the game. Even though within the team, they had some really good players, some really good stars, I'm sure, for their age. But they made sure that everybody had a fair go with the ball. And it was interesting to watch this, you know. So I was thinking to myself, I said to Mick later, saying, you know, it's quite interesting to think that here we are in the middle of nowhere. 
And then to see the influence that some of our footballers have on these kids in the middle of the Highlands in Papua New Guinea, no TV, no telephones, no nothing. So how could they get that message or how could they get that whole, you know, that role modeling to occur in the middle of the Highlands? And then how does that work in Australia when we've got access to TVs and all sorts of communication devices? So what is the message here for the kids? You know, what are we doing? What the, you know, where, where do kids get this story? Like they watch it on TV another rugby league player gets arrested for something or he's get done for the, he gets done for something, you know, and before you know it, he's, he's a naughty boy. And the messages that our kids must be getting must be huge. And it was only then when I was sitting there watching this game and make that realize that, you know, and you're thinking it's a very powerful thing. Um, sporting stars and the, you know, how they become idols to a lot of our kids. Anyway, so this game continued on. And before we know it, we had a winner. And it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen because they all stopped and they shook hands and, you know, they all walked off down to the river to wash themselves after being in the mud. And and it was a great team because there was Darren Lockyer. Darren Lockyer was hugging Sam Tidey. And it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. So when the kids were all finished, they all came back up to the village, you know, and myself and Mick were going to head off anyway. So we looked at them. They looked at us, you know, and I looked at the, the, the main man in the village and I said to him, I said, look, you know what? here's all our medical supplies. This is what we've got. We can leave these with you to make sure that the kids are looked after. And with that, myself and Mick, well, we took all our medical supplies out, you know, and included band-aids, included everything. And we knew, so we were four and a half days into the mountains. We knew that, well, we had four days to go. So I looked at him and he looked at me. You get that look on your face and you know, well, here it is, you know. So Mick turned around to me and he said, look, uh, I didn't, you know, let's give him our food. And I looked at him and I said, huh? And he says, yeah, let's give them the food. They need the food more than we do. So I said, all right, no worries. And uh, we took the food out of our backpacks, our ration packs, and we gave them to them, you know. And we knew then that, well, we're going to go four and a half days at some point in time without food. So we gave the food across to the kids and the kids were over the moon and, you know, the elder was there and he was very, very thankful. And the hairy ball was taken off the kids and then it was locked away in the office, you know, so... It, it, it was locked away probably until the next special occasion or the next rugby league championship game with Darren Lockyer. And so myself and Mick, we trudged off down the track, you know, and all the kids came after us for about a kilometre just to cheer us on and welcome us, you know, and send us on our way. And as you're walking, you know, both of us stayed, you know, we stayed silent, you know, because we were still mulling over what we'd just seen the last few days and how simple things can make huge differences to people's lives especially kids' lives. And it was probably one of the greatest learnings that I've ever had. And I know when I talk to Mick about it, he says the same thing. So we went on our way and eventually we'd come back down into civilization. And it was only later on that when I actually got to do some team building with the Broncos, you know, and Darren Lockyer was there. And also Sam Tyler and Alfie Langer was there too, you know, and I looked at it and I could understand then, you know, why Darren Lockyer was the great leader that he was. And... I was telling him the story later on, of course, you know, and he was blown away with it. But as the Broncos were as well, because, you know, the, again, the highlands of Papua New Guinea in the middle of nowhere, you've got a poster sitting on, on, on a wall and the influence that they have over the kids in the middle of nowhere. And I guess the lesson around the fire with the Broncos was that, well, your actions are watched all the time by children, you know, and it goes for parents too. So they try to walk in your footsteps. 
which was what myself and Mick were doing anyway. We were walking in the footsteps of his father, trying to get some answers. And at the end of the day, it's bigger than what we all think it is. So that's the first um, story I'm going to tell you now on the podcast. And we're going to have one each, each week from here on in.